0: In episode 60 of MobyCast, we conclude our series on Brett Fisher's DockerCon session Node.js Rocks and Docker for DevOps. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in.
1: Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of Mobicast. Hey, John. Good to be back. <laughs> it's good to have you back. All right. So we're doing part two today of the talk that you listened to at DockerCon that was one of your favorites from Brent Fisher, and that's Node.js rocks in Docker for DevOps. So this is part two of that. And last week, we talked about just some Node Dockerfile best practices. Maybe you could just give us a quick recap on what we covered there, and then we'll jump into the rest of it with the rest of the talk. There's a lot more good stuff. Absolutely. But for I was kind of hoping we'd do our, what you've been up
2: to. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. I have, I have something I definitely just want to talk about. Sure, it's, sure. Just, it's kind of interesting breaking news, right? And this is the just recently Docker issued the press release saying Steve Singh stepping down as CEO, right? I did not know that. Um, you and I
1: were just talking before the podcast started and I didn't know you had this secret. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Keep it fresh <laughs> and spontaneous. Right. So I mean, not terribly shocking news, but but pretty interesting, you know, for for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, timing. Like this is a week after DockerCon is when they is when they issue the press release, right? So it's kind of like, hmm, probably would have been nice to do this before DockerCon and then kind of help smooth, you know, make that introduction, if you will, and have that transition during then. According to the Docker, the deal wasn't fully in place yet, and that's the reason
1: why they didn't do that. But right, you know, because did it, did it start with the with the freaking huge security nightmare they had, you know, three days before <laughs> DockerCon? Yeah, I mean, you know, all this
2: stuff factors into it, and like the right. and like what's really happening behind the scenes. So, like the the official word from them is that, like this: this has been they've been talking about this for for months. Of course, um, of course, and you know, it wasn't finalized until after DockerCon. But you know, who knows? The person they've tapped to come in and be CEO is Rob Bearden, who is former CEO of HortonWorks, and then also at a few other open source companies like SpringSource and JBoss. Yes. <laughs> Wow. So kind of like a um somebody you know, who speaks the language of enterprise for sure. Yes, and and, and from an open source standpoint. So yes. so kind of interesting there. But I just want like again, I'm gonna just reiterate this. Like here I'm just gonna lay down the prediction. Docker is gonna be acquired by VMware. <laughs> VMware is gonna overpay for them, but they're gonna do it. And it's gonna be a one-two punch for VMs to containers with with now Heptio and the Kubernetes founders and then Docker. And I think it's actually going to be a win-win for for both of the companies because i just i think docker is is definitely in a spot of bother here really struggling to find its footing and what that business model is and acquisition is really, I think, the only exit for them. They keep talking about like, oh, yeah, we can go I- IPO and we're going to be cash flow positive by the end of the year. And I, I just don't see that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to disagree and have a little bit of conflict on the show, but that sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so we'll see. I mean, I would not be
2: surprised if within six months there's, a, there's an acquisition.
1: Right. It would be interesting to kind of dig around and see I can't remember the name of the new CEO you said, but it'd be interesting to see what kind of ties he has to VMware.
2: Well, I mean, so that's, that's, that's interesting. You bring that up. So he was COO at SpringSource, and that was acquired by VMware for 420 million dollars in 2009. Okay, so, um, <laughs> yeah. And Hortonworks, He did. Apparently, he was there when they went public, and then they they were acquired by Cloudera last year. Okay. So he's definitely got the experience of the chops. He's got the connections, you know, type thing. So again, VMware. I think this is the the next acquisition.
1: It does make sense. I mean, and I mean, it would make. VMware- and where, like, it would be the, the source, you know, that's where you go for operating systems that are not operating systems. Yeah, and I mean, just the whole enterprise space,
2: the hybrid mm-hmm. cloud space, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it actually makes sense. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't, I think from an ecosystem like this acquisition makes sense for them and I think they will overpay for it from just a pure revenue business standpoint, like they will make something of it, hopefully, but they're definitely not a, the value they place on It's not going to be upon Docker standalone value, right? It's going to be that that synergistic value that some yeah. kind of VMware can extract from it and build on it.
1: Right, right. Well, very cool. All right. So now we can go into our recap of, <laughs> yeah. of part one. Perfect. Yeah. So in part one
2: of this, we got through basically talking about just Dockerfile best practices for, for Node.js applications, right? So we talked about hey base images like that's what you're starting with what are the what are some guidelines there for how to go build the best docker file we talked about node modules and making sure that that's not included in your image we talked about you know especially with native code being compiled sometimes and with the node modules it's really important that you you're building that for your target platform correctly and then we finished up with talking about least privilege principles and um, specifically take advantage of the built-in Node user that comes with the official Node.js Docker images, that are there, but they're not enabled by default, right? And so you have to do some work there to, to to actually switch over to use that. So we that's what we covered in the the first part. And so here in the second part, we've got a lot more to cover. So because I think you know Brett's talk was. 40 minutes and that was probably the first seven minutes <laughs> um, and but this is this is traditional docker I mean every docker con I've been to it kind of feels like these sessions are just like drinking from the fire hose so they're always 40 minutes long but it always feels like the amount of material that you is at least 60 minutes if not 90 minutes worth of material
1: right so yeah and going into the next next thing that he talked about it looks like he talked about node process management and this is really I'm I'm really curious about this, because I don't know. Just recently, with the news of the the container breakout stuff, and just you know, at Kelsey's camp last a couple of months ago, we we learned we went a little deeper, and that that wasn't on MobyCast, but it was just with our within our own company, we did some work to learn more about how Unix processes work. So I've been they've been on my mind recently. I'm curious what he had to say about process management for containers. Yeah, and and there's there's
2: kind of like several subsections to this that all kind of deal in that space. So we'll we'll be able to to dive into that a little bit, and it's it, it is interesting to kind of just really understand like what's going on here and at the day it's it's processes all the way down. <laughs> so with that, you know, talked about like hey, for as far as process management goes for your actual containers, like you don't really need anything extra there. Like rely on your orchestrator to to do that for you. Let, like so rely on Docker, rely on your orchestrator. So with, with with Node.js in particular, you know, it has had so many tools out there for dealing with process management. So things like forever, modules, PM2, Node on. I mean, this is just—it's—it's it's just there's the cluster module. I mean, there's just there's always been process management in that
1: space. You know, For those Node, that are that are listening, that might not be Node people, I think it's because Node doesn't have sort of a, a management process that keeps things running when there's an error. And so if you if you do kind of make a mistake in your code and the code just shuts down, right? It just terminates the process. Absolutely, yeah. It just there 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 is there's no built-in process management per se with Node, right? Yeah. So right, if
2: you then, have if you have an exception there goes your process like your server
1: is done so right um, and i think people are used to working with you know application servers whether it's java ones or python ones or ruby ones are, are kind of used to the application server being really resilient to errors happening in other in the, in the components of its code yeah cool. part of that
2: is just the the, the youthfulness of, of node versus something like java and .NET too right so like these tools spring up and then you see more and more like just just coalescing and with the maturity of the of the platform and whatnot so and there's also these tools have been out there for things like doing supporting hot reloading right of code Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you're you're developing on your machine you're running it you're testing and then you go and like oh i'm gonna change this line of code and so you have process manager that then is doing things like watching the file system seeing the changes and when it sees that it crashes the process and and restarts it so it picks up those those changes that you just made and so you know his point here was just like, hey, don't you don't need to use this stuff on in production on the server? Instead, just let your orchestrator and uh, Docker handle this for you, right? So we have things like health checks, and you can spin up you know as many of these tasks that that you need. Like let your orchestrator do that, and uh, with the caveat is like use something like NodeMon when you're lo- when you're developing locally. Like that makes sense because that's going to give you things like hot reloading. So, and then another part of this was just uh, Really calling out that using npm start that's an anti-pattern for your Node app. So, do not use npm to start your app. Instead, you should be starting it directly, you know, via the Node process. And we'll get into a little bit more why that's the case. But uh, those were the, the the two main ideas that you're pushing across there with that with, in that particular section of the talk. And then from there went into like, well, let's, let's talk about shutdown now. Like, what does it mean for um, a healthy shutdown in a node, in a node application? Um, A a node application in a container, right? It is for, for a node application, in a container. It's also actually, some of this applies outside of containers as well. Okay. Um, So... But so specifically, running inside of a container, so it's 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 running as process ID as PID one, right? So it's the first process in a in a system or the the container, right? This is the, mm-hmm. the initialization. So that, this is typically what's what's happening, right? So you're you've Dockerized your your Node app. It's you're spinning up a container based upon that image, and so this is the first thing that's running, right? So it's running as as PID one. So it's the the init process and you know just some background information there like the init process in containers has basically two jobs. One is to reap zombie processes. And zombie processes are sub processes that have that have lost their parent process, and it's also responsible for passing signals to the sub processes, right? So, in general, like with Node and Node apps, containerized, the zombie processes really not shouldn't be much of an issue, right? Because you're really just running your your Node apps, unless it's just spawning a bunch of other processes. It's it's just probably not going to be too much of an issue, but the signaling is important and, and especially with, and that's where this this shutdown comes into play, right? So for proper shutdown, Docker is using Linux signals to mm-hmm. control the apps, right? So this is things like SIGINT, SIGTERM, and then SIGKILL, force quit, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, so SIGINT and SIGTERM, these Linux signals, like this is what allows for that graceful stop to your application, right? And so that's what. So when you. When you do like a Docker stop on a particular Docker process, this is what it's doing. It's sending a SIG term to that container, right? And so it's mm-hmm. and then it waits. Um, and it's gonna by default it's gonna wait ten seconds for that container to respond to that and shut down. And if it doesn't, then it just it will kill it, right? It'll do that force that force quit on it. So in order to have a graceful, healthy shutdown, you need an, you need a container that's gonna respond to, to these Linux signals. Mm-hmm. And this is where it comes in with NPM. So with with NPM, it's not responding to SIGINT and SIGTERM. So if you're using NPM start to launch your app, you, you have a problem here, right? So it's, cause it's not gonna get processed at all. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's why NPM start is the anti pattern right? Okay. Why, why the recommendation is, is to not do it. So um, just
1: if I could, if I could just make sure I understand, if you do NPM start, then your node app is running within a process that's owned by NPM. And then when you send signals to that same process saying, okay, we're done, stop. NPM is like, mm-hmm. I'm busy, I don't hear anything. Yeah. Yeah. So okay.
2: in, in that case, NPM
1: is PID1, right? Yeah. And and your actual your actual node code is is maybe a child of that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing to keep in mind, so node by default is not
2: responding to SIG and SIG, SIG term, but you can with code, right? Like you specifically have to add code in there to handle it. So this gives rise to okay, well what can you do? So he he, he outlined like three three possible workarounds and solutions here. And so the first off referred to like as a temporary or band-aid fix and that is docker as of version 1.13 it has a flag dash dash init flag and what that does is it wraps your process with a lightweight init system that's basically it's it's called tiny t-i-n-i which is a A module that's just, it's designed to run as PID1, right? And to do the right, to do the right things. Um, Okay. So when you're in, when you're running your container, so Docker start, if you use the dash, dash init, then that's going to basically use tiny as, as, as PID1. And now you will be responding to the, to the SIGINT and the Mm -hmm. SIGTerm signals. The problem with that is that you may not have control over this, right? So like we, we run an AWS and we're using ECS. So we don't, we're not the ones making the, the Docker start and stop commands. It's actually the ECS agent. I haven't looked into like what, what integration the ECS agent has with Docker and whether or not it allows you to sp- to actually specify this kind of argument like in your task definition file. I bet um, it does, but yeah. It, it probably does, but that's what you could do. Alternatively, if you can't, you know, modify your Docker start command, then um, another workaround would be to simply build tiny into your image, right? And have tiny be pid
1: one. And so, so that's so have the last command of your Docker file be a tiny command. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so that's that's pretty straightforward and easy to do. So again fixing this this
2: PID one issue. But the, probably the best way to do this, um, and definitely like the right way to do this, is just update your node app to make sure that it properly captures the the Linux signals. So make sure that it's it's it has handlers for SIGINT, SIGTERM, SIGKILL. Actually, sick in, and sick term. Sure, because <laughs> if you're listening to those, then you don't need sick kill most likely. And then, in addition to that, then also just don't use npm to start your app, right? So just call oh. node directly. So have node be your be your pid one. Invoke that um, to launch to, to start your app up, and then just process these these signals correctly.
1: It feels like I mean it, I could be wrong here, but if somebody's listening, they're like oh, I really want to uh, I really want to contribute an open source update. You know, I want to contribute something to node this could be an area where you could do something feels like there's some general stuff that pretty much any node app would benefit from if you just put it into node itself in order to you know because i mean gosh it's like it's like calling to be worked on this is like a a thing that every single person that ever builds a node app should do this extra code why not one person do it at the root of the tree instead of everyone doing it on their leaves yeah i mean the good news here is that node already has like the the event handling
2: in it and it's it's Mm -hmm. actually Really easy to, to do this, right? So it's just, and it actually is kind of like boilerplate code to okay. add in these 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 event handlers for these these Linux signals. Uh-huh. But what isn't boiler, boilerplate is that for every app, shutdown is something different, right? right it's very right, app specific, sure, sure. right? So yeah. so the bodies of those event handlers, it's really up to you. Like you don't mm-hmm. want you don't want someone else doing that. So you, you have to decide, like, what is it? I'm I'm shutting down. Like, what cleanup do I need to do? Yeah, yeah, that um, I agree with
1: for sure. So, so never do that in, so, as a general case
2: yeah so it it's it's actually really there's not a lot of work here to do it i mean it's just not as it's just not as a standard practice and i think just people don't think about it right because because you do have the things like the after 10 seconds docker's just going to kill it right mm. and so it's instead of shutting down in two or three seconds it shuts out in 10 seconds and it's one of those things that maybe people just don't Scratch their head and ask, like, why is it taking 10 seconds to shut down every time? Right? Or why doesn't Control-C control work? You know, right. in console. Cool. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon
0: this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in.
1: All right, so where we go next from here? So again,
2: it's it's part of like this theme of like just better shutdown, healthier shutdown. Talked a bit about connection tracking. And so this is... Basically, you you should um, track your HTTP connections and send them FIN packets when you're shutting down, right? And this is mostly for keep live connections. And so, by default, by design, Node.js, when you call when you call the close function of for servers, the so server so. You know, when you're handling one of these these signals, like you're probably you're gonna be calling like server.close, right? To shut down your server. By default, Node.js is not gonna close, keep live connections when that happens, right? So they're just gonna be just abruptly terminated. Instead, you know, what you should be doing is you should be you should send thin packets so that these things close in a, a graceful way. And you know, you also want to make sure that you're stop accepting new connections and existing ones get closed and whatnot. So there actually is an open source, an NPM module out there. It's called stoppable. And this is something you can wrap a Node.js server object with. And so what that does is that is just provides for this really graceful connection handling. It stop when you call it, it stops accepting the new connections. It closes the existing idle connections without killing requests that are currently in flight. So it allows for just a really graceful shutting down, draining of those connections and, and shutdown.
1: No, so I guess exactly. I feel like I feel like it's maybe just the node ethos of like uh, super, super minimal, very, very lightweight, you know, making no assumptions about what people might be using it for that has led to this. And I kind of come from more of a, man, things are a lot easier when you have some opinions in your software. And it kind of bugs me that this is even a thing. And, and it also kind of bugs me that Stoppable is a separate module. That you need to add, like I just would rather have you know the peace of mind that this is not something that I need to think about, and, it, and in fact, the fact that you have to think about this is almost like showing off. It's like, guess what I thought about everybody? Ugh, fin, fin packets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, opinion. Yeah, after. I mean, it, you know, from day one, the ethos
2: of node was like it's going to be very much like Unix system software. So do one thing really, really well, and then you can have a community of um, other tools that build up around it to build that ecosystem. And so I think now, you know, they perhaps they, they wouldn't want to be so hardcore on that, except now they have things like backward compatibility, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if they go and change how this works, then what do they break? Right. Um, They probably break a lot, right. And they're going to get a lot of flack for that and whatnot. So some of these things is like you—you you made the decisions, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, and like we just have to live with them now.
1: Right. Yeah. And and boy, does it feel to me like a decision that wasn't actually made, but like, oh, hey, guess what? We don't do. We just didn't get that. You know, we just released. We released early and often, and that was one of the things that we didn't think about when we released. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So what comes next after you? After everyone remembers to use Stoppable for their yeah. HTTP connection, yeah. or particularly their their keep alive ones? What comes right. next?
2: Right. Yeah. And and then there was you know quite a. A discussion in Brett's talk about multi-stage Docker files and how to use those to, you know, basically break out your process into different stages, like production versus dev versus test and whatnot. That was that's a whole big topic, and we've done a, we've touched a bit on this in previous episodes of MobyCast, and and maybe we'll do a, a future one as well, but going to kind of just kind of skip over that one for this for this recap just because it's such a big topic and there's we could, we could talk about that for, for quite some time and sure um, we want to keep this at, at, a, at a reasonable length today. So after the, I'm talking about multi-stage Docker files, talked a bit about security scanning and auditing. And this is one of those things where now it's just, it's kind of like a no-brainer, right? It's just, it should just be table stakes. It's so easy to do. You can do it for free. You can use a paid service, but just get the auditing and the scanning in as part of your your CI process, right? So, you can npm it has the the audit, and that's mm-hmm. going through and checking against known security vulnerabilities. And then you can also do full up CVE scanning with tools like Microscanner from Aqua, and can really easy just to build into your you know into your Docker image or part of your CI process. So just do it. Like, make sure you're doing CV scanning. And this is definitely something like on our team, we're going to be working towards and and making sure that we're doing this.
1: Yeah, you know, I think a a great way of of finding yourself not doing it is if you ignore one of those NPM audit messages three times, then you'll ignore it forever. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't let yourself do that three times in a row. Yeah, Just like any kind of code compile warnings. Like, you know, I'm sure everybody has been on a project where you the first time you compile it, you're like, how how are we living with 5,000 compile warnings? How how did this happen? Yeah, so it's the same kind of thing, and it's and it's more serious when they're security audit even than than when they're just compile warnings of, of code that should probably be written differently.
2: Yeah, and and just even just knowing, right? Just seeing the the, the results of it, because I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that I mean. If you run these scanners, you're gonna see quite a few things, and some of the stuff is gonna be things you can change, and some of it's gonna be stuff that you can't do anything about because it's it's on it's coming from dependencies. But just having the knowledge of knowing, okay, what is the surface area here? Like what's going on, and what about or, or just like the code that we're you know that we're writing in particular, and, and and the dependencies that we have control over. Just knowing that, just having that information, and then you can make that decision on, on how strict you want to be. Do you do you really want to fail a build? Or do you want to continue on just just knowing but having that knowledge of like what is the service area?
1: Well, it's wild how how fast those audits get updated. I've been writing some node code myself for the past few months and just been blown away. I'll I'll go clear out all my security audits, which always requires a little bit of work, a little bit of updating. And then, you know, two, three, four days later, it's like, whoa, there's another one. So so it works, you know, they're Mm -hmm. really keeping track. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's
2: and it's done, you know, again, at the C V E level where it's coming from. You know, across all different software packages and whatnot, and they're also they're doing more security evaluations of the actual of actual modules themselves inside npm, right? Which is so they're actually doing security audits and, mm-hmm. and flagging issues. Um, and those are so important
1: is... too in places like Apple, <laughs> like when you're doing transpiling and you're actually t- you know letting something touch every piece of your code. It's so critical to make sure there's not malware and something like that.
2: Yeah, or an npm module that you're installing doesn't go and grab passwords or grab aws yeah. or creds right that are in memory right. and then you know forwards on to some proxy
1: or something so mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that was not the point to finger at Babel, just the just the point like you know it's something that has access to everything mm-hmm. cool so where do we go from security scanning and then
2: you know there was uh, quite a bit of discussion just about docker compose and having that as part of your workflow especially how it integrates in with things like health checks um, so docker health checks but one kind of made a specific point of calling out myth busting that V so Docker Compose the YAML it's versioned right so there was V one then V two and now there's V three mm-hmm. and so you know one of the myths is that V three does not replace V two right so V two its focus is is basically on you know single node development test versus V three came out to for really for the multi node orchestration so it's it's really for tools like Swarm and Kubernetes it was the additions needed in order to, to enable those for things like deployments and, and managing clusters and whatnot. So this is... T- just, you know, kind of just a high level point, just, just realize like, Hey, you know, if, if you're on V2 of, of Docker Compose YAML, like that's okay. You're not missing much by not, you don't have to go feel like you have to upgrade to V3.
1: So something to keep in mind. Cool. I, uh, I have some feelings about that, but I'm just going to let them go. I'll just, <laughs> stick, I'll just stick with V2 and not think too hard about it. <laughs> there you go. There,
2: then um, talked a bit about just node modules, specifically how you mount this you know, for uh, volume mounts for about bind mounts with Docker, and this is again we've talked about this in the past. Poking the hole between the container and the host, what you're sharing, and you know, kind of finding that right that right mix between the isolation that containers promise versus the the utility, the flexibility for developers to do things like hot reloading and whatnot. So, talked about the, the, just various techniques that you can do with NodeBound just to make sure that you're not kind of get in the situation where you're using node modules that were compiled for one target, but you're running on another one. This is, again, kind of one of those bigger topics we could talk quite a bit on, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. But the one, one little tip here... That was kind of useful. Is just that if you're using Macs, if you're on a Mac and you are using volume mounts, just use the dedicated decoration inside the, the delegated decoration inside your Docker Compose file. So when you specify the volume inside Docker Compose, if you just use whatever name you want on it and then colon delegated you're going to get a performance increase. So that's just some, you know, go go do a search on it, go look up some more on it. But just, you know, as a, as a pro tip, you can get some better performance there if you do de- delegated write mode on your volume mounts.
1: Huh, that's interesting. And I, th- I think that's kind of perfect because it, it dovetails with, you know, an episode we did before about not letting things be a mystery. We don't really have time today to, to go into exactly how that works and why it gives you a performance increase. But, you know, don't do that without understanding that. Go read about mm-hmm. it and then yeah. do it. yeah crawl walk run yes yeah and then you know the final uh,
2: section here on on um, brett's talk was about health checks um, and um specifically how you can le- leverage docker health checks via your docker compose and again this is kind of one of those that's um you know we did a whole episode on health checks and uh, you know kind of at a broad level and we could probably do it no, a whole nother episode just on docker health checks and compose files and how you set those up and how you set you can specify dependencies and conditions based upon like what the health checks are and what this what the status of those health checks are for the various different services that are in your Docker Compose file. So you know the 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 point here was just you know definitely be aware of this, definitely consider leveraging it and using it. It's part of the infrastructure that you're using with with Docker, Docker Compose, and you know you should take a closer look at it.
1: Very cool, and I think we we can finish up with something that's been I've been eyeing this whole time is. A checklist and I I love a good checklist. So what do we have? Yeah. So yeah. So in summary, here's your production checklist, right? Um, <laughs>
2: for, for running node.js under Docker. So one, just make sure you're commanding node directly, right? So this is what we talked about. Don't use npm start, instead, just have node be your, your bid one. And then as we said, make sure you're handling capturing sig term and properly shutting down. Also, make sure when you're sure. building. Yes, <laughs> when you're building, um, make sure you have a Docker ignore um, file, and definitely make sure things like Node modules is included in there. Your your dot git directories in there, log files, any other artifacts. Right, just make sure that whatever's on your build machine where you're building images, that you're excluding the stuff that shouldn't be in that image with the Docker ignore file. Another part of this checklist is make sure you're using npm ci, or you can also do npm-i using the only production command flag. Right. So this is like basically you want the, the minimal set of, of code of artifacts in your when you're doing an NPM install. Um, okay. So use
1: use, use those options. I'm just curious about that. I, I'm not as familiar with NPM as I should be. And NPM CI or NPM minus I only production, I would guess, knows to only put the parts that production needs into production. And I'm kind of guessing that who's ever writing the library that you're installing with NPM kind of needs to be aware of that and, and know the difference between what they should put into a production build build versus a, d- a development build. And if they weren't aware, then there probably is no difference. Right, yeah. I mean, th- so this is, you know, know, in supported Feature right, like did you build support for this into your library or not? That's I guess that's my question. Yeah, and it, it's really I think this really just applies to the,
2: your package JSON file. So in package JSON, you, you have your dependencies, and then you have your dev dependencies, right? Okay. So. Yeah production is just going to install the dependencies, not the depth okay. dependencies.
1: Right? Uh, so then it really doesn't,
2: it's not down to a library level. There isn't like a... Uh, no, no. It, it's not. It's Don't think of it as like, oh, I'm back in C plus C, C land and I've now flagged, I'm, it's now an optimization flag on my compiler um, okay, to goes cool. to you know to do things like unroll loops or anything like that right like it's it's not
1: that okay thank you
2: and then another bullet would be just hey make sure that you're you're scanning auditing and testing your builds so we talked about that cve scanning and and using things like npm audit so really leverage what's there in your that you can take advantage of in your ci cd pipeline and then health checks, again, for readiness and liveness. So look Docker and the infrastructure supports a very robust ecosystem of health checks there and between specifying conditions and, and how they're used in your Docker Compose file and then Docker itself making those those health checks through
1: the Docker daemon. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much to Brett Fisher for this good talk that we were able to go over. And, and I learned a lot from it, even though I wasn't present in the audience. Thanks for explaining it to me, Chris. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, it's a it, uh, very good... Talk a laundry list of, of like very much actionable
2: things to go do. Right. So I, I enjoyed this just because it's like there's at least two or three things
1: here. It was like, yep, we got to go do that. Right. And I think in the the DockerCon set of talks that you listened to, there was one more that we might dip into the DockerCon bucket for and, and do another episode on. So that'll likely come up next week. And yeah, I'm about to go to Glucon in a couple of weeks too. Shout out to that conference. That that's a really fun one that I've been to for a few years now. So there should be some interesting things out of that one too to talk about awesome all right thanks so much chris all right thanks john talk to you next week see ya
0: well dear listener you made it to the end we appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online this episode along with show notes and other valuable resources is available at mobicast.fm forward slash six zero if you have any questions or additional insights we encourage you to leave us a comment there thank you and we'll see you again next week